Hey there, CEOs. It's Brandy, and I have just a quick note for newer listeners. This show used to be called the She Who Dares podcast, but on May 5th, 2022, we changed the name to the Wedding Pro CEO podcast to better reflect my mission, to help wedding industry entrepreneurs scale a profitable business they love. The content is the same, just a more descriptive title. Enjoy the show. You're listening to episode number 77 of the She Who Dares podcast. Welcome to the She Who Dares podcast. I'm your host, Brandi Gar. I'm a small business entrepreneur with almost 20 years of experience in the event industry, and I've spent the last decade creating multiple thriving businesses, growing a dedicated team, and teaching others to do the same. Each week, I'll share an inspiring conversation or message to encourage you to follow your dreams to start or scale your business. Thanks for hanging out with me this week. Let's jump into the episode. Hey there, podcast friends. Welcome back to another episode of the She Who Dares podcast. Today's episode is actually based on a clubhouse room that I did a few months back that was by far and away the most polarizing episode that I have done on Clubhouse. And we had such a good time. I had to have today's guest back on the show. Today, I am talking with Becca Atchison. She's the owner of Rebecca Rose Events, and she started her business by charging flat fees for all of her clients. But she quickly switched to percentage-based pricing when she realized that on a $450,000 wedding, she was making less than a 1% profit. Yes, you heard me right. You guys, this episode is so good. You can listen in to learn what percentage-based pricing is, how to implement it into your business, and how to charge what you're worth no matter what method you use to price yourself. This one is so, so good. I cannot wait for you to learn all of these golden nuggets from Miss Becca Atchison. Here we go. Hey, Becca, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hello, Brandy. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So we met through Clubhouse, which is, of <laughs> course, everyone's favorite new app, or at least mine. <laughs> I love, love, love Clubhouse. I actually heard you speaking with my friend Megan Gillikin, and mm-hmm. you were talking about percentage-based pricing. And I didn't get to listen to the whole show because I had to be somewhere else. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to circle back to this. And <laughs> then of course, yeah, I had you on my show and then we've mm-hmm. done a full-blown many-hour debate about pricing on Clubhouse. And I was like, I have got to have her on the podcast because <laughs> if there's people that are not on Clubhouse right. or because Clubhouse is live, right? So you can't, right. everybody can't hear it. This will live on forever. So I I love the way that you explain pricing and valuing yourself. I have never heard anybody explain it in a way, one, that could turn my opinion on it, <laughs> but also <laughs> just it, you explain it so well. So before we get into all of the nuggets of gold that I know will be coming in this episode. Can you just tell everybody a little bit about who you are and kind of what got you to the place you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for that incredible compliment. That is (laughs) just, wow. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. Yeah. So I um, co-own and operate a destination wedding planning and design company called Rebecca Rose Events, but Of course, there are many years that sort of led up to where we are now. And the quick rundown of that is that I started my career actually not in the wedding industry at all. I was working at a public relations agency 
and realized very quickly that I actually hated pitching press releases, <laughs> but I loved doing events for our clients. And that's really where I fell in love with the potential for live events to just be these transformational experiences. And so from there, I went to work for the Coca-Cola company in their corporate headquarters okay. in Atlanta for a while. Um, and I was doing internal events there. I then went and did events at the University of Georgia. And while I was there, I started to really dip my toes into weddings and fell in love with, you know, much more the event design part of that work than necessarily the logistics, but really sort of mapped out, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. This is where my heart is. This is where I'm meant to use my artistry. And I, this is, I'm going to start a business. But before <laughs> I did that, I really wanted to learn, you know, the business, the foundational business and the vendor and venue side of things, because I really got thrown into the deep end with those jobs I just mentioned. I had a wealth of knowledge and just I mean, had put the elbow crease in and really learned a lot of things and have had been, you know, tested and tried in hundreds of events. But I wanted to learn the business side before I just kind of dove in. So I went to work for Hyatt and I did oh. that for three years. And I was a catering sales manager, which meant that I was, you know, of course, working with clients to plan the logistics and sort of bring them up to the point where it would be handed over to the onsite operational team. But it also meant I was, I had a sales quota. I was yeah. booking the business. And so it was, I mean, to be totally candid, mm -hmm. I hated that job. <laughs> it was just, um, I was there during the recession. It oh. was the hardest possible circumstances to be responsible for booking mm -hmm. that much business, but there was no better way for me to learn. Yeah. And I'm looking back on it. I'm just so incredibly grateful for having had that and having done it during a time of hardship to prepare me for the, then when I did start the business founded Rebecca residence in 2010. So almost 11 full years ago. Now I had that to draw upon and not just yeah. experience planning events, designing events, working with clients, working with people in the industry, I, I had insight into, okay, well, I've got this business now. How are people going to find out about it? How are they going to know about it? And what do I need to do to get people to hire me? And so in 2013, my business, my now business partner, Betsy Krug joined me. Um, she moved to North Carolina. She and I had previously worked at Hyatt together. So while I was in sales and sort of, you know, planning with clients, she was on the operations side in food and beverage. And so that's just the, the very quick version of the background and sort of our company. And what started as just me all by myself in 2010 is now Betsy and me. And then we have three full-time salaried employees. And of course, a much larger team, you know, extended team of freelance contractors. And so here today, you know, part of what we do day in and day out is not just destination weddings and, you know, planning and designing and producing events, but we also have looked back and realized, you know, there are a lot of things that we have learned the hardest ways possible, <laughs> have made so many mistakes, have fallen flat on our face and picked ourselves up. And it doesn't have to be that way for every person starting a business in the wedding industry. And so I love having these conversations about pricing, about sales, about the things that are like, you know, none of us decide to be wedding planners so that we can be salespeople, right? right. None yeah. of us do that. And yet if we start a business, we are right there in the mix, in the mm -hmm. thick of it, whether we want to be or not. So we might as well learn to be exceptional at it, or we don't get to continue having a business to do the work that we love. 
Yes, that's so true. And I, I think it's really interesting that you knew that kind of looking forward that even though you had a ton of experience in planning all kinds of different events, mm-hmm. that you needed the business side. And I feel like, especially in our industry, so many people jump in because of their craft but have right. no idea how to run a business and then realize really quickly right. that actually more than half of what you do is the business, not the craft. <laughs> and Absolutely. It, it's like you're constantly trying to play catch up on learning how to run a business. So I love that you went in yeah. and had that experience. Yeah. I mean, I think it just sort of like, I don't know. I just sort of realized like the events that I get to work on, the hundreds of events I was working on were just handed to me. Yes. And so who was going to be handing them to me when I was by myself, right? (laughs) Nobody, (laughs) nobody was going to just hand them to me. Um, And so, and even, I mean, even knowing that, and like you said, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think most people don't think about it that way, but even knowing that doesn't mean that when the business started, it was just easy. Sure. And it still to this day is not easy. (laughs) It never will be right. It is always something that you have to work very hard at and you always have to be you know, re-examining your processes and adapting to the market, adapting to Mm -hmm. the marketing vehicles we have. My gosh, in 2010, I think Pinterest had just started. Uh It was barely a thing. Yep. Um, Instagram was brand spanking new. Yes. No one cared about Instagram. Right. Like none of the things that we're using today were mainstream. And think about how that much, you know, how that changes on a month to month basis, on a year to year basis. And that will never stop. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no matter who you are, or whenever you enter this market as a business owner, you have to have the drive and the commitment to continue mm-hmm. to figure out what you're lacking, what you're not doing well, mm-hmm. where you need to level up and know that that can never stagnate. Yes. So true. So one of the other things that you said when you were talking about your introduction is that you brought on a business partner. So mm-hmm. In in your business, you really focus mostly on sales and design. And then Betsy focuses on execution of that design and logistics. Right. So basically, you know, I am, I'm no longer a wedding planner. Betsy is. Betsy is fully dedicated to logistics and all that that entails. And I then am the creative director. So I'm fully dedicated to aesthetics okay, and event design. I do floral design. I work on, you know, basically the way that any wedding looks and feels is my wheelhouse. Okay. And the way that it operates, the way that it comes together and operates is her wheelhouse. And so that's sort of the hallmark of our business is that we will always give equal focus to you know logistics and aesthetics together yeah, um, and that. then have built a team to sort of support those endeavors and sort of how we serve our clients in that way. So yeah, just definitely, you know, that doesn't describe the average wedding planning company and I'm aware <laughs> of that. Um, but that's what works for us and what over the years we've realized is sort of what our niche is. Well, and the reason I kind of wanted to stop on it, I know that's not our topic today, but a lot of what my show talks about the she who dares podcast is growing and scaling your business. And I Mm -hmm. think with kind of listening to your story, it sounds like you started to realize this isn't my jam. Like the logistics are not my jam. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so you really found your wheelhouse in sales and, and finding those clients and bringing them in and selling them this amazing promise and then creating this beautiful dream. But when it came to executing it, it's like, 
I don't know. This isn't, it's just not maybe what you loved. Right. And that's the thing. And I think you can be good at something Mm -hmm. and not love it, but it's like that run that only works for so long. Yes. You sort of will start. And that's what I sort of saw the writing on the wall. Like I'm going to start to not be good at this (laughs) right? because I don't love it. I'm not, it's going to be harder and harder to give this the level of energy that I'm giving it now. And what is that going to mean for the future of business? Mm -hmm. Like that's not a life that I want I want to be doing doing work that I feel really good at and that yeah. is exceptional and that is fulfilling to me as an artist. And I think that's something too, you know, for anybody listening, the, you know, the lesson in that is you just never be afraid to admit like this isn't working and I need to change something. Yes. And it took me a long time to realize that I, that I am, and it's okay to say that I am an artist. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. I was at a workshop And I was like driving home after the workshop ended and I was sobbing on the phone to my husband because I had had this just like, I mean, it was happy tears, but I had had this just like epiphany that of course I'm an artist. (laughs) I spent my entire life from the time I was a tiny child. I was a ballerina. I was dancing. I nearly didn't go to college. I left school early every day and early release to go. And then I was you know, I was a Houston Ballet Academy student in Texas and I was there for four or five hours every day. I mean, that was my whole life. And I always looked at it as because I didn't go to formal art school mm-hmm. or have a degree from college in art that I was not an artist. And I realized that is the most ridiculous thing. I had more formal art training in my lifetime <laughs> right. than most people ever get. Right. And so, but I had never seen it that way. And it just yeah. sort of took this like, moment of eye-opening realization to understand this is why I don't love planning events. Yep. Yeah. I like thinking about lines and movement and aesthetics and that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And so just because I'm decent at this does not mean this is what I really am meant to be doing with my gifts and talents. And I need to figure out how to make changes so that I can do the work that I really love and continue to love it. Yes. It's so good that you did realize that about yourself. And exactly like you said, for people listening, recognize that about yourself. You don't have to run your company like Becca does or like I do. I feel like I talk to wedding planners a lot where they'll say, I hate full service weddings. I hate them with all of my passion. I cannot Mm -hmm. stand doing it. Yet it's a service they offer on their website. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. then why are you offering it? And they say, well, you know, you're supposed to have the three packages. I'm like, there's no supposed to. That's the whole point. If you want to be the best freaking event management wedding pro out there, then go get it. Like stop offering something that you hate. So I love that you thought, you know, I do love the aesthetics, but I don't really love the execution or the logistics. And, And you brought somebody into your company to be that exact perfect balance to you. So now you can offer your clients this magical experience. You know, Betsy, like to your point, this is something where, you know, when she's coaching people all the time, I can't even count the number of times that she says, and I think it's so important. If you, you don't have to be a designer to be a wedding planner, there's no shame in being a total rock star (laughs) at logistics. Yes. Step into what you're amazing at and what you love to do and build on that and Mm -hmm. don't follow some formulaic strategy that comes from, I mean, who knows where it even comes from. Right. I know. That's I don't not know. grounded in what matters for your business and your personal life and your family. Yeah. That's the coolest part about being an entrepreneur. You can do it any way mm-hmm. you want to. You get to make up the rules, which is so fun. Okay. So what we're talking about today is 
percentage-based pricing or Mm -hmm. also we are talking about percentage-based pricing, but also just knowing the value of Mm -hmm. what you provide and, and not being ashamed to charge that amount for it. And this is something that I feel like as women, we have a really hard time with is, is knowing our value and being confident and saying, this is what I'm worth. And Mm -hmm. And I'm good with that. And so Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your journey from how, like why you're so passionate about percentage-based pricing? Because you weren't, you didn't always charge this way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So the the reason that this came about, so when I started this business, I was charging flat fees. I I remember the first wedding, the first full service wedding I booked, which I think was the first booking. And I did, I mean, like many, like we were just talking about, I started with three packages. I thought that's (laughs) what everybody's doing. That's what I have to do. And that's a whole other can of worms that we'll get to. But, um, you know, I booked, I was, I guess, lucky in that regard. I, the first piece of business I booked was a full service wedding and I charged $4,000 for it. And at the time I I was just like, (laughs) I think Megan's is the same. Megan Gilligan is, I want to say hers is the same too. We talked about this before, but I, you know, it's like, obviously all of us probably did the same thing. We arrived at that conclusion based on just Googling or whatever we could find about what we thought it was supposed to be. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because we all came in the mean, market around the same time too. So yes. there had to have been like a Google article about it or something. Yes. Something. Yeah. And so I charged $4,000, which is an entirely separate issue that was obviously <laughs> way too little yes. for the scope of what I was doing. Crazy. But... You know, I continued to charge flat fees for the for the first several years, mm-hmm. um, and even right after Betsy joined, and it was not long after she joined that something happened to us that we now we mean we will never do this, <laughs> we will never charge flat fees again, and this is what <laughs> happened. Okay, so we booked a wedding that was a large wedding mm-hmm. um, with a luxury level budget for sure. It was, you know, about a $250,000 budget. And I think there were, we were expecting like 250 guests. Okay. And so problem number one, again, our flat fee was way too low. It was $14,000. Don't okay. even get me started on how unmatched that was with the, what the expectation of work should have been. Right. But at the time that felt like a huge number. Right. Because, and I've been there too. And I know people listening to this, there's probably people listening to this thinking, holy moly, I could never mm-hmm. charge somebody $14,000 to plan their wedding. But one, yes, you can. And two, yep. just hearing you say, oh my gosh, that's so low. When you really break that down, that's only about mm-hmm. 5% of what mm-hmm. their total wedding budget was, which is not at all enough at right. all. Right. <laughs> um, for right. And it's like a $14,000 fee would be huge for a wedding that is, you know, a, a much less significant overall yeah. scope. Yeah. But we just were not, we were not thinking about scope. Of course. We were just yeah. thinking, which I think is the danger of flat fees. We were just thinking purely what's a good amount that we can charge where we're going to make a profit. Yep. The problem was we weren't actually grounding in anything that arrived at us making a profit. And so (laughs) we can get more into that, but we did that. And so then what happened, you know, over the months and months of working together, these clients made a lot of significant changes. The the wedding in its final form had no resemblance to the wedding (laughs) that was described when we booked it. They added a lot of people to the guest list. Okay like over 150. Oh my word. So we had a much higher head count than yeah. what we originally, you know, thought we would have. 
We also ended up with two custom tent installations. Um, You know, the final project ended up with like a $450,000 budget. And that's indicative of just the, the amount of complexity and equipment and time and all of those things. And quite frankly, and I think to break it down, it's not just the time that went in to handling those scope changes, Mm -hmm. both in the planning process and the wedding week itself. I mean, we had to bring in a lot of staff to handle that hundreds and hundreds of of hours, you know, just in the wedding week. But it's also important and I think this often gets overlooked when that wedding became more financially expensive and more valuable than our level of responsibility. And quite frankly, our level of liability ratcheted up yes. right with it. And so we mm-hmm. were getting paid $14,000, which, oh my gosh, I haven't even done that math. What percentage is that on a four hundred and fifty? I don't even know. I know. I'm like, it's you know? not a lot. <laughs> I mean, we were paid less than the band. We were paid less than almost every other vendor on this job. And we had been working on it for like, what, 16, 18 months. I don't remember exactly, but an insane amount of time. So not only was that all out of whack, right? Because that just seems up to this point, like just a good learning experience. You need to charge more going forward. No. What happened is we came out of pocket so much. I mean, we not only didn't make money on that wedding, we lost money on that wedding. We basically were paying for part of their wedding. When it came down to it, just to supply the staff that needed to be there to handle what we had promised contractually that we were going to do to deliver a full service scope of work. Right. And so, you know, that happened to us and it was so painful. And those, and here's the thing, you know, if we want to talk about lessons from it, there are so (laughs) many, but I think the most powerful one is, you know, those clients were amazing. Yeah. This was not their fault. They are still to this day, some of our biggest fans. We stay in touch. We're friends. They have referred at least two other weddings to a three other weddings to us. They are very powerful ambassadors for our brand. Mm -hmm. So this is not on them. Yeah. It it is never your client's fault if you're not being paid enough, right? That's because you didn't charge enough. Yes. (laughs) Right. You didn't. They paid exactly what we asked them to pay and that's on us. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you had this wedding and you were like, this is crazy. So what, what did you do about it? What would, what'd you do next? So we realized the problem here was that we had no capability to change our fee or level up if the scope changed, right? So if the scope of this project changes, we have no capacity within our contract to adjust for it accordingly. Mm -hmm. And you know, what happens then is that leaves you with a, with a few different options. You can just suck it up <laughs> and try to make it work, knowing that you may go into debt, you may come out of pocket. I mean, that's what happened to us, mm-hmm. which has lasting ramifications for your business. Mm-hmm. Or you could try to go back to your client and say, I need to charge more money. I need, you know, maybe that'll work out. Good, good like, luck. <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. But it also invites into the process a whole host of problems where they're like, well, why don't you just... I understand. I don't want you to have to do more work than what we expect of you. We'll take care of this part of it. And then you step in. I mean, there's just like that invites negotiation. Mm -hmm. And ultimately you're still responsible for the end product. And you can't step into a DIY planning, you know, quagmire in the middle of a luxury (laughs) wedding and come back into it. You know, so there are lots of different roadmaps for how to navigate that. And none of them result in something good. Mm -hmm. And so we realized the problem here is we've got to figure out how to address a potential change of scope. 
And we started to talk about it and we started to just research a little more and it was staring us right in the face. Like we need to have a percentage-based fee. The only fair way to really account for something becoming more complex, more valuable for your level of responsibility to rise is to tie it with the budget. There's really no other way to do it other than perhaps charging hourly, which would be amazing. I mean, if we all charged hourly, can you even imagine? No, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. But I also don't want to track those hours, right? Exactly. It's thing. like there's that those problems are twofold. Yeah. One, then we're tracking then we're functioning like attorneys and tracking Ugh. every single second, which sounds like a nightmare. And I think especially for our business that's creatively inclined, mm-hmm. I go into modes of thinking about design ideas like <laughs> on a whim all the time. And Me so now too, I have in the to middle track of the night. That, or yeah. I have to stifle that. Like none of that's good. Yeah. And that's the biggest criticism people don't love about attorneys either, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't want to be charged hourly and then they're coming back to you to try to do whatever they can to mitigate the amount of hours you're spending, which just is it's all around bad news bears. Yeah. Right. Terrible. Right. So this really is the fairest and most predictable and transparent way mm-hmm. where there is no surprise to anyone. Yes. But you can seamlessly level up your approach, your mm-hmm. time, your effort, your staffing to rise to meet the demands of the project, no matter how big it gets. Right. And you don't have to go back to your client <laughs> to explain that, to beg for it. Right. It's just understood, it's expected, and it happens. And so mm-hmm. that's how we landed at this, at where we are now. And what we do now is our fee is 18% of the overall budget or a minimum whichever is greater. Okay. And I think that's really important wording, 18% (laughs) of the overall budget or a minimum, whichever is greater, because if you don't have all of that encompassed, it's, it's an entirely different thing. And that kind of leads into like what people have objections about it, which I'm sure we'll talk about. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you guys are listening, this, this is really our, our topic for today is percentage based pricing. How do you charge it? How does it make the most sense? Which we kind of just talked about, you know, the other Mm -hmm. methods of charging are complete chaos, flat fee, which I did for ever. It is challenging because you think you're charging Mm -hmm. enough and then you end up with this completely different scope of work, which is not anyone's fault. And it's exciting. It's exciting when your event becomes this magical, amazing thing that lets you flex all of your creativity and, you know, it's going to get published and all the things. But at the same time, it's like, but all of that doesn't pay your bills. You've got to make sure that you're charging appropriately. So this is really what we're talking about today. So how did you switch to this percentage-based pricing and how does it work with the 18% or a minimum, whichever is greater? So how does that all work? So I will say at the outset, there's a few things that we're always going to exclude if there's a percentage calculation of our fee. So backing up a second, when we book a wedding Mm -hmm. and we send a contract, there is a contract minimum. So a minimum fee. Okay. And our fee may always stay at that minimum. It may really function like a flat fee. And quite frankly, that happens all the time. Yeah. But if the overall scope increases or changes and the budget grows such to that now 18% of the budget is a, is a number larger than that minimum fee, okay, then our fee becomes the 18% so, versus the minimum. So just to give an example, really just for round numbers. So if people mm-hmm. are doing other things as they're listening, they're like, wait a second, what? So let's just say a client comes to you and they have a $100,000 wedding budget, right? I'm, right. I'm 
sure that we play with much higher numbers, but let's just go with that for easy numbers. Mm -hmm. So let's say they have a $100,000 wedding budget. You Mm -hmm. would say to them, our fee is 18% or a minimum, whichever is greater. Your Mm -hmm. minimum, I know that this is something we've talked about off the show, but you typically make your minimum slightly less than what 18% would be, right? So that they could have some flexibility. You might say something like, our minimum will be 15,000 or 16,000 or 18%, whichever Mm -hmm. is greater. Correct? Right. I think that's important. It's a fine. This is the part that you have to have some trial and error and be willing to re, you know, revisit this and adjust it as you do it more and more. But that's the balance that we, we work really hard to strike is we want to make sure that the minimum is not way out of whack with what we think (laughs) they're going to end up spending. Right. Right. Because if I think, if I know that realistically what they're talking about is not a hundred thousand dollar wedding, it's really a $300,000 wedding. And our fee is really going to be, you know, 50 something thousand dollars. Then me sending them a contract with a $15,000 minimum is just a recipe for everybody to be confused and distrust in the process. And so part of this is always grounded in candid conversations and being willing to share your expertise Mm -hmm. in the sales process, in the discovery phase, so that you're starting from a place where everyone understands you're going to work very hard to make sure you're on the same page and that this budget is realistic. And if really $100,000 is the cap on what can be spent, that's cool. Yeah. But they know that they're going to have to make some decisions and you're going to be guiding them into how to keep that down because it would be very easy for it to climb up. Yeah. And so along with that, coming back to what you just said, you've got to find the balance of having a realistic minimum, but I love to give a little bit of leeway so that they really do understand it's okay if they don't spend a hundred percent of a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars that they thought, right? Like our goal is not to keep pushing the number up yes, and just causing them to write more and more checks. (laughs) Right. Our goal is to do an incredible job and deliver a wedding. And the budget is absolutely a part Mm -hmm. of the parameters for that job. And that's something that looks different for every client. That's the kind of thing you have to be able to talk about and feel out and get a good, a, a really good sense for in the discovery phase, but that they understand your fee might go up. It's never yeah. going to go down, Correct. but it may be the flat fee and you've got a little leeway to where they understand that they could, you know, they could invite less people. They could spend a little bit less yeah. and that's okay. Your fee just will not dip below in this example, the 15,000. Let's right. say, you know, if they started and they thought they were going to have 150 people and they decide, you know, a few months and we really want to have a smaller wedding. Like let's yeah. keep it at 75. Yeah. That's great. Your job is still what it is. You're going to make adjustments. You're going to have probably more to work with on the design phase Mm -hmm. if they still are willing and want to spend that same original budget level, but your fee is not going to go down below $15,000. I love that. That's the important part. And it, that is the important part. And two, you, what you just said about really understanding in the discovery call or the discovery mm-hmm. process and, and having that authority and gaining trust with them by being able to say, you know, you're having this amazing console and they're describing their incredible wedding. And you say, mm-hmm. okay, so have you thought about a budget for your wedding? And they're like, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of thinking like a hundred thousand, but we're not really sure. Like what would something like this even cost us? Right. That's where you have to flex your authority and your expertise and say, 
you know, I mean, we've only had one conversation, but based on this one conversation, I really cannot see you spending less than like 175. If you were to change nothing, you know, could we have a hundred thousand dollar wedding? Absolutely. But based on what you've described to me, it really sounds like it's gonna be more around like 175. How does that feel to you? And if they're like, okay, no, that totally makes sense. Which guys that does happen. People just don't even know what to say. So they just don't know. Sometimes they might be like, you know, no, that sounds crazy high. Like I really don't feel comfortable spending more than maybe even like 125. And then you can say, okay, well, let's talk about what that looks like. But that's where the transparency comes in right from the beginning. I think is just not, not saying to them, yeah, I can plan you a hundred thousand dollar wedding when you know it's going to cost more than that, because that's where it feels icky. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's the biggest mistake that people make in the sales process is to just be an order taker. Yes. Right. You can't do that. Yep. You are the experts. You have to demonstrate expertise from the get go. Yep. Or not only are you less likely to book the business, <laughs> but you're also less likely to, you know, earn their trust. Yeah. And as you navigate through the process, if you told them in that, in that initial conversation, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. And you took the hundred thousand dollars, which may have been a random number they pulled out of thin air, right? It really may have been. Yeah. Then you turn around and you're planning this wedding that suddenly looks more like 250,000, but you never brought that up. You never had a conversation about that in the get, you know, from the get go. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. They're going to be so upset and and rightfully so they should be upset because I tell my clients right in that very first meeting, if they're describing a wedding that is way more than the number they've told me, I say, listen, I know this could make you not want to work with me because I'm going to be super blunt about this, but like, there's no way Mm -hmm. we can plan this wedding that you're describing and this dollar amount. So I'd rather talk to you about that right now. And, and you know that going into it, then you book me and me all of a sudden double your budget. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I so appreciate that. Yeah. Something just happened. I think this is such a perfect example to dovetail with this. I just had a conversation last week with a mother and a daughter and, you know, they, we ultimately are not, we are not going to book this wedding. We're not the right fit. It's, yeah. it's not the percentage base fee. That's the problem. It's the overall budget. That's mm-hmm. a problem, but, and it's not, I don't, it's not a problem. It just is why we're not the right fit for them. But the mother said something that I thought was so just powerful, you know, cause we're talking a lot about the budget and I'm, they had, they just wouldn't give me a number and they didn't, I'm sure they didn't know, but they just really weren't in a place okay. to talk about it yet. So we're talking about the budget and the mother said, you know, I know we're going to have a nice wedding, but I want to make sure that we're planning this from the standpoint of abundance and not feeling like, you know, we walk into Neiman Marcus and we can only shop the sales rack because we have a budget. And I said to her, I said, I exactly right. But the better analogy here is that when you work Mm -hmm. with our team, you're not shopping, you have a personal stylist and that person curates and pulls for you. And they're going to pull some stuff from the sales rack and some stuff from the couture racks and some stuff that's in the back of the store that you could never find on your own and some stuff that's custom made for you. And you have no idea what those individual pieces cost. You know that they understand your budget parameters. They know what fits. And you walk out feeling like a million bucks because you have this beautiful wardrobe that is unique and looks amazing on you and is well tailored and you didn't blow the budget. Yes. Oh my gosh, Becca. That's how you have to have those conversations and reframe things 
because it can't, I agree. Like it's hard to talk about budgets. It's not easy. If you just focus on the, you can't afford this kind of mentality, which is where that can easily go. You have to reframe it for people so that they understand this is not about you trying to tell them they can't afford things or you trying to define your fee as being the most important part. This is about making sure that they have a realistic ballpark set of expectations so that you don't have to keep coming back to the budget. And that's the beauty of percentage-based pricing. It's Mm -hmm. transparent. Our fee is always at the bottom. Like it's always a line item in there and they always retain full and complete agency over their spending. So there's never something where they're going to be surprised by what our fee is or what something costs. It's just like we start there and then internally we're using that and coming back to it all the time. We will share it with them whenever they want to see it. No surprises. And it's a totally different process. And then it is planning from a standpoint of abundance and it is joyful. Oh my gosh. I think that was a really, really great analogy because I don't like to spend money on clothes. I actually mm-hmm. loathe shopping with all of my passion. <laughs> um, I hate it. But wh- I used to do, what is the thing in the box? Oh, like I don't Stitch know what Fix. Yeah. Stitch Fix. Yes. My mom got it for me for a year for my birthday because she was like, I know you hate spending money on clothes and you never buy like really nice things. And, but I, I, I like to look fine. Right. Right. I don't know. But I love your analogy because to me, I would put my budget in monthly and I would say, this is the amount that I'm willing to spend. And they, I remember this one month I got a pair of jeans and like three tops and I did not know how much any of it cost individually. I was just like, I love all of this. And I loved the jeans so much when I put them on. Like, I was like, I legit feel like a million dollars. So I finally went and looked them up because I was like, I love these jeans so much. I want to buy like four more pairs. They were $150. And I was like, what on earth? I would never spend $150 (laughs) on a pair of jeans. But I never never even thought about the price of the jeans because I was like the whole box together fit in my budget. And so I love the way that you just described that because Mm -hmm. that is what we do as planners. Our job is to bring the entire picture to them and some things aren't a priority. And so we maybe use a little bit more of a budget conscious vendor for that. And then some things we're like, we want to blow this out of the water and we're going to spend the dollars here. So I love the way that you described that. So I just had to stop there for a second because that was amazing. But okay. So in this example of the $100,000 wedding, so Well, I think a lot of people say, but you know, how do you keep your clients from feeling like you're just pushing their budget up, pushing their budget up, pushing their budget up? Well, if you tell them right from the beginning, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that your $100,000 sounds very reasonable for your wedding. I think that we definitely can plan that. But then they change the scope of the event, right? They add more people or they decide they want a $40,000 band or whatever, all the things. That changes your workload. They decide they want an outdoor wedding. They just, whatever. And now it's a $150,000 wedding. Now you're able to really say to them, hey, the scope of the event is changing. Totally fine. We're here for you. But our our budget is going up, correct? Or how do you kind of have that conversation? How do you negate that? Yeah. So, I mean, the conversation will always be a little bit different depending on the wedding. And again, depending on the family, you know, it could be, for example, that you're able to say right off the bat, I know that this isn't realistic. Let's talk about something in my experience that would be more realistic. How does that sound to you? Or this happens all the time for us when we're doing destination weddings. If it's a place we've never worked before, I don't know. I have baseline understanding of what's, you know, common 
in many places, but I don't know specific market details about a particular location until I spend time researching. And that's in Betsy, you know, like that's a whole boatload of work we're going to do. And that's part of the value that we bring. But that alone is an important conversation to have to say, you know, talk to me about, do you feel like you have flexibility? You know, I think that that budget sounds like it may be realistic, but we're not, there's a lot that we'll need to find out about the unique offerings or restrictions or access or whatever it might be about the remote island you want to have a wedding on, you know, so do you feel like it's most important to stay within $100,000 or is it most important to have that number of people and have, you know, all of these parameters and just talk through it a little bit. And it's, it's a conversation. And I think that's like coming back to, you know, sales is a conversation, Yes, right? It's not order taking, it's not dictating. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. a menu of options. Yes. At least it shouldn't be for a wedding, right? We're not selling hamburgers. And so you just have to create the environment where, you know, by you demonstrating comfort and professionalism and expertise in talking openly and candidly about numbers, you create a space where they are comfortable talking about numbers with you. And that is an, a really powerful connection to have. And the more a client, a prospective client is opening up with me about those kind of numbers in that conversation, the closer we are to booking that business. Yes. Yes. And you you opening up that door is so important. You You telling people like you just said, Becca, don't be an order taker. I mm-hmm. hope, honestly, if you get nothing else from this episode, if you're like, I'm not ready for percentage-based pricing, I'm not there yet, and that's okay, please hear that. <laughs> you mm-hmm. are not an order taker. It is your company. It is your job to create this experience. So please tell your clients up front, you know, be honest with them, whether you're percentage-based or flat fee. And I definitely think you should be percentage-based. But if you're, whatever you're doing, when you're selling please make sure you're not an order taker. They're looking to you for expertise. They don't know how to plan a wedding. They're they're lost, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, you said it a second ago, Brandy, just the issue of how do you make sure someone doesn't think you're just trying to drive up the fee. So I think, because that's the primary objection. That's the primary criticism, sure. right? The obvious one that's standing out there. Yeah. But that might make sense in the world where your only job is to be the advocate, is to negotiate, is to recommend vendors and play in the details. That's not yep. your only job. It yep. shouldn't be, right? One of the most important parts of our job as a wedding planner is to be a responsible steward mm-hmm. of their budget, to guide responsible budget stewardship. Yep. And so this process of recommending vendors or services or products or rentals or whatever it might be, the things that have cost, mm-hmm. that does not exist in a vacuum. We also have these budget parameters and that expectation. And that's part of our responsibility. And because it's transparent, like we talked about, because it's all there, because you're in control, we have our clients sign the contract with their photographer directly. That's Mm -hmm. not something we're ever going to book without them approving it, without them having agency over it, without them having their literal signature on a document and their check, (laughs) you know, in the mail. And at the end of the day, you know, we have been doing this for years. If we were blowing our clients' budgets and spending their money unbeknownst to them, we would not have happy clients. We would not have people who refer business to us and people who write us amazing reviews and people who keep keep up with us years and years afterwards and people who have us plan multiple weddings for siblings. Mm -hmm. So you have to have this holistic view and be able to really explain, look, 
I know that this is maybe not, you know, something that others in my market are charging. And maybe it seems unfamiliar, but let's talk about how it works, why we do it this way, why it's important. I always offer the opportunity to talk with former clients, use the testimonials, use the experience to help sell through that because it really is not, that objection does not really make sense in this context. No, it doesn't. Especially when you're being upfront about it, you're talking about it right from that initial meeting. You don't wait till they're already contracted with you to start talking numbers, have that conversation right up front. So Becca, one last point I really want to make sure that we get to. So if anybody's listening and they're flat fee right now saying, wait a second, I I only charge like six, $8,000 for my planning. And I think that's a good fee, but I do want to understand how to do this percentage-based pricing. But 18% sounds crazy. Like how can I possibly do that? Not everybody has to start at 18%, right? No, you don't. You can always change the percentage. You obviously have total control over what the minimum is as well. You can also build in a leeway if you want. So for example, you might say our fee is 15% of the budget or 12% of the budget or this minimum. And there's a $5,000 spending leeway. What that means is like if they can add $5,000 worth of whatever into their budget before any percentage increase kicks in. I did that the first couple of contracts that we sent out. I I quickly realized it really was unnecessary and it was overly complicated and I was making our own lives harder. It sounds complicated. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's an option. It could be something you offer to someone, but I truly, I think that, you know, if you're easing into this and you want to start with a lower percentage, you can, although I will play devil's advocate and just say (laughs) why, you know, I think you have to ask why, what's the reason to do that? Yep. Is the reason that, You're just trying to build confidence in the process and selling it because at the end of the day, you're still going to sell a percentage-based system and you've got to make sure that you reconcile with that. Well, what is your fee and -hmm. what should your fee be? And what does 12% mean your fee is going to be? It may be too low, right? And you just have to, you know, again, you're going to, it's this kind of trial and error is really healthy and it's good. You have to start somewhere. You just have to start. (laughs) Yes. But don't be afraid to adjust that. I think also, you know, if you're new at trying it and selling it, don't be afraid to negotiate. I think negotiation gets a bad rap, but if someone's telling you they have a concern or an objection, find a workable solution that makes you both happy. At the end of the day, does it enable you to do your job? Mm -hmm. Are you still going to be profitable, right? Mm -hmm. It cannot cause financial harm to you or you got to walk away from it. But are you still able to be profitable and do you have a happy client? If you find a solution that results in those three things, then book the business. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. But it all comes down, really what you were just talking to is knowing your numbers. I mean, how many hours are you putting into this event? Does it make sense financially? when we were doing a flat fee, we felt very comfortable with the number of hours that we're spending on an event to Mm -hmm. what we were charging for a flat fee. And our flat fee was always 10 to 12% of their budget. So where it's become an issue for us when we were doing flat fee is that when the scope of the event changed, our fee didn't change with it. And so then now we're adding more staff and we're adding more time, more hours. So then it became less profitable, but we felt very comfortable with that number now because we charge it as a percentage. 
as their scope changes, as does our fee. There's a lot of things that go into it and just your comfort level and what you're charging or what your area will yield as well. And so you really have to know that for your own company. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have to be charging your worth. You have to be charging your worth. Yeah. And Becca had, this is one of my favorite things I've ever heard her say is when you realize that your fee as the wedding planner and designer is less than the band who showed up for four hours and then left and had zero pre-work and zero after work and you made less than them, that's when you might want to do a gut check, like gut (laughs) check. (laughs) They do mic checks. We do gut checks. I remember the first time I heard you say that and I was literally like nauseous. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. The number of times our fee has been less than this amazing band is shocking. The value, it's got to be grounded in the value that you bring to your client and you bring to to your wedding. If you're not grounding your pricing and the determination of your worth in your value, in your expertise, in your experience, then it's a, then it's a meaningless word, right? Worth can be meaningless. It's got to be grounded in the value to make any sense. And I think, you know, like we talked about before, none of us love to track our time. I really yeah. do think that it's important if, if you're listening and you've never really thought about the number of hours you put into a project, track this for one wedding and you don't even, you can eyeball it, right? Like yeah. you don't have to turn on a timer, just look at the end of every day. Okay. Roughly how much time did I spend working on this claim and mm-hmm. just keep a running tally. It will shock you. It will be probably hundreds and hundreds of hours if you're truly a full service wedding planner. And that puts everything in very harsh perspective and that perspective matters. And I think, you know, the other thing is when you do that and then you drill down further and you really understand your numbers and understand what are your costs of doing business, what kind of staffing costs do you have, what tax obligations, what equipment, what insurance, all those things, track all of it you may realize you're actually losing money on every wedding. And that's what happened to us. And we didn't know it because there was cash coming in. We just kept booking more. And so people would pay invoices, but it was like we had our own little internal pyramid scheme without intending that. Right. And I don't mean that we were, (laughs) you know, I don't mean illegally, like we were taking advantage of other people, but we were taking advantage of ourselves. And that's a really dangerous boat to be in, especially when a worldwide pandemic guts your industry, you know, so you always, this always has to be grounded in knowing your numbers and knowing what you need individually as a person, as a business, as a member of your family, what you have to bring home at the end of the day to run a profitable business. It can't just be a hobby or it is not going to last. No, it doesn't. I mean, you absolutely nailed it on the head. I feel like we talk about that all the time on this show. If you don't know your numbers, if you don't know if you're profitable, if you're not paying yourself, all of those things are a recipe for disaster. (laughs) So, oh my gosh, Becca. Okay. This was such a great episode. I feel like you really helped everybody to understand you got to know your worth, how to charge, how to explain it, how to get it across to the clients. So if people want to learn more about you, because you teach this, you have the RRE method, right? Mm -hmm. How can they come find you? What's the best place to find you? Yeah. So RRE just stands for, it's, you know, Rebecca Rose events. So rremethod.com, that website, we've got courses. I've got courses about this wedding sales strategy course, a percentage-based pricing for wedding planners course a course about adding additional revenue streams for planners. There's also one about transitioning into the luxury market. And then there are bundles for those things. So those all live at remethod.com. And we also do coaching. So have a lot of clients that will just book a a coaching session specific to this issue and then talk not just broadly about what percentage-based pricing is, but sort of how to implement it for your business. Anybody who is interested in this 
just reach out. I know. And Becca is so passionate about it. She's so great at explaining it and helping you to understand how you can implement it into your business. So go find her. I will link all of her social handles in the show notes as well as the RRE method. So you guys go check it out. Make sure that you're following along with Becca. And Becca, thank you so much for being here today. It was great. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I could talk about this with you all day long. (laughs) Okay, you guys. So what was the gut check moment of that episode for you? Was it like mine when she said, if you as the planner who are spending months and months and months and hundreds of hours planning this wedding, if your fee is less than the band's fee, then we need to have a gut check moment. Like that punched me right in the stomach when she said it on Clubhouse and I was just like... Yes, this is the turning point for me and my company, and we have got to start charging exactly what we're worth. So I loved this episode so much. I hope that you guys did too. If you felt like you got some seriously golden nuggets out of this episode, I would appreciate it so much. If you would leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, you can just pop into the Apple Podcast app if you're on an iPhone, and you can leave us a review. A five-star review is always so appreciated. But the more reviews we get, the better we rank on the charts and the more ears we can get into to help other wedding pros build and scale their business. Thank you guys so much for being here every single week. I never take it for granted and I will see you next time. Hey there, wedding pro. Are you feeling overwhelmed, burned out, and wondering how you will ever pay yourself an actual salary from this business you're building? I get it. I'm a wedding pro just like you. I sat in this season of overwhelm and no pay for way too long. Now I own one of the largest planning firms in Orlando, Florida, while doing less than five weddings myself each year. And yeah, I pay myself a full-time salary too. And I'm not alone. Hundreds of other wedding pros just like you have gone from overwhelmed to confident CEO by using the proven strategies I teach inside the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator. I tell Brandy all the time how grateful I am for her. Before joining with her, I thought I was successful and I was successful, but I was working 24 seven, barely making a profit. Now, over a year later, working with her, it's just been life changing. We have our Monday calls. I voice text with other wedding planners all over the nation. And it's helpful just to have someone that's done what we're trying to do. And that is what the CEO Accelerator Group has helped and taught me to do. Inside the Accelerator, you get lifetime access to the six step-by-step modules that walk you through the pillars of a profitable wedding business. The financial services spreadsheet that Brandy gives you as a part of the Accelerator is worth the price of the Accelerator alone. If you need clarity on finances, your budget, if you can hire, if you can even pay the people that you have hired, go get the Accelerator because that spreadsheet gave me the knowledge and power to make the decisions to continue hiring and growing my team in the way that I want to. But what good is all of this knowledge without accountability, community, and of course, a place to ask your most burning question. When you join the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator, you also get six months inside our live coaching membership. 
It literally has changed the way I do business. It has changed the way I view things. It has changed the way that I manage things. It is totally amazing to be able to sit with CEOs that have been through what I've been through, have been through the trenches and can give me the insight as to how they got through it. It doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the only person on the planet who feels this way. No, there's tons of other CEOs that feel the same way I do and we can talk about it, think through it and we can learn. It is absolutely amazing and if you're thinking about it, you should do it. The Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator is the best of a course, a membership, and a group coaching community all in one. The group has been so supportive and has really kept me sane through the busiest season I've ever seen in my career. For that, I'm really thankful. Looking forward to the next year and all the things I have to learn to grow and scale my business and super excited for the next steps. Here's the thing. You can absolutely listen to this show every single week to get nuggets that will help you scale your business. And over the course of a few years of piecing together all of that free information, you could very likely grow a successful wedding business. Or you can join the Wedding Pros CEO Accelerator today to get the proven step-by-step roadmap you need to ditch the overwhelm, build maximum profit, and step into your role as confident CEO all in just six short months. In 2021, we did 220,000 in revenue, which I was so excited about at the time. In 2022, where we sit now, our revenue came in around 560,000. Honestly, I attribute so much of that to really being able to grow. I actually no longer take on weddings myself. I'm really able to focus and be the CEO of my company. And that's come with a lot of guidance from the Accelerator Group, all of the other incredible CEOs in that program, bouncing ideas off of each other, asking for the help and hearing from other people and what's worked and what hasn't. Just click the link in the show notes below to learn more about the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator and let's build your profitable wedding business together.